Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So I think that this has just been a massive propaganda win for the Houthis. Uh, obviously, not only Israel's assault on Gaza and mass killings of civilians and all of the footage that has been produced by that but the houthi response and now of course if you if you scratch the surface you can see that these attacks on on ships in the red sea are not actually going to deter israel in any way but the houthis can frame it very very effectively and i think it is a good line of propaganda um, and it's been picked up by many people and i don't think that the houthis have ever received this much global attention awareness and also praise Hello and welcome to this special emergency edition of Behind the Lines. I'm Arthur Snell. We recorded this the night after the US and UK Air Forces had targeted sites associated with the Houthi rebel movement in Yemen. Once upon a time, the Houthis were seen as a ragtag rebel militia, but they're now a powerful armed group that controls the north of that country and has, thanks to Iranian support, an extensive array of weaponry which allows it to project its force both into the Red Sea and into its neighbours such as Saudi Arabia. To discuss the implications of this I was delighted to be joined by Hannah Porter who is a senior research officer for Yemen at ARC Group and her particular specialism is the Houthis so she's a great person to be talking to at this time. Here's Hannah. You have devoted much of your professional life to Yemen. Perhaps you could uh, start by telling the listeners a little about a little bit about your own sort of personal story with regards to the to Yemen. Yes, absolutely. So uh, years ago, before the war in Yemen started, I, I was studying Arabic in Sana'a for a semester. And I just fell in love with the city and with the country. Um, unfortunately, shortly after I was studying there, war um, broke out. And Although I was initially interested in Yemen due to its its culture and its history and, and language, 
Um, I then eventually became interested in the political aspect and then the military aspect as well of, of what was happening. Um, when I was in Yemen, it was uh, towards the tail end of the so-called Saada Wars, which were the wars between um, the central government in Sana'a and the Houthis, uh, who were then a very, very uh, little known group um, from the governorate of, of Sana'a, of Saada, sorry. And so there was um, a war between the two of them at the time. And obviously, since then, we've seen how the Houthis have uh, increased their, their influence and their power and their, their global footprint. And I've really tracked uh, their progress as a rebel group and now as the de facto government in northern Yemen. Fantastic. So you you mentioned their Saada and the that's... Um... For, for listeners who are not familiar, it's a region of Yemen that is directly on the border with Saudi Arabia, so the north of Yemen, uh, extremely mountainous, rugged uh, countryside. Um, I've also, you know, spent time in Yemen, and it's it's physically one of the most dramatic landscapes in the world, really, isn't it? It really is. It's it's gorgeous, and it also. Um... You know, lends itself to to very difficult military terrain. So uh, the Houthis right now occupy northern Yemen, which is very mountainous, and um, I think it it does make it difficult. Uh, some of the efforts that there have been to to push uh, the Houthis out of the capital Sanaa have, have failed in part due to the terrain. Yeah, and so it, it's worth that point is worth making because the the Houthis, in a way, there's something slightly inexplicable about this group, which as you say, um, in the earliest phases was a kind of local family-based militia with based in the Zaidi uh, kind of Shia Islam. Um, and yet it is now this powerful militia that controls de facto government of North Yemen, but perhaps more significantly, basically controls the, the access to the Red Sea, has, has managed to um, divert global shipping um, so if you were sort of briefly, but trying to characterize this transformation from a, what some people might've called a sort of ragtag rebel army in a remote Northern district to this immensely powerful militia, well-armed, uh, extremely ruthless, what, what are the key moments in that story? So certainly starting with the Saada wars, I think the Houthis truly learned, um, warfare, uh, they also learned important propaganda tactics early on, um, how to frame the central government of Yemen, how to frame the U.S. and Israel. Um, they were really masters at that from, from early on. Then, of course, um, following the Arab Spring, uh, Ali Abdullah Saleh, the former um, president of, of Yemen, was uh, pushed out and replaced. And he, of course, was opposed to the Houthis during the Saada Wars. He was actively... Um, attacking them and warring with them. But once he was pushed out, he found the Houthis to be a very convenient partner and ally in his yeah. attempt to retake power in Sana'a. So the Houthis gained a lot from their um, alliance with Ali Abdullah Saleh. However, you know, they were able to then take over the capital with his help. And a few years later in 2017, they did end up um, assassinating Saleh and then consolidating power um, it was, it, of course, in 2015 that the Saudis launched um, the coalition to try to push the Houthis out of Sana'a and reinstate the internationally recognized government. But that was years and years of warfare that um, 
that was unsuccessful and uh, strengthened the Houthis and strengthened their position. And now they are absolutely a militarized group with with considerable military capabilities. Uh, but also, I would argue that um, on the on the diplomatic front and the strategic front, they've gained a lot of experience um, and they have made very, very few concessions in the rounds of negotiations that, that they have participated in. Yeah. And obviously, we're having this conversation, Hannah, because on the uh, 11th of January, overnight, the Air Force of the US, with with also um, some involvement from the UK, carried out airstrikes against the Houthis. And this was in response to this wave of attacks on shipping that was passing through the Red Sea. The Houthis' argument was that uh, they were they were sort of standing up for the Palestinians, that this shipping was associated with Israel. But it, it's very clear that many of these targets had absolutely no connection with Israel. Um, but a, a necessary part of this story and a necessary part of the events of the, of the last few days is the fact that the Houthis have sophisticated weaponry. They have drones, they have missiles, and they have been equipped with this weaponry largely by Iran. So the big question of the degree to which the Houthis are connected to Iran, are they a proxy force? Are they an allied force? Are they simply a sort of, a, a, you know, a, a coalition of interests? How would you characterize that absolutely key relationship? So I would say that they, there's certainly an alliance and cooperation and undeniable um, support in the form of weapons and training um, and also media support from Iran to the Houthis. Yeah. That support has increased considerably since um, the outset of the war with Saudi Arabia since 2015. Um, even back during the Saudi Wars, uh, there was there was some connection between the Houthis and Iran, but it was very tenuous. Um, but today, it it is a very real connection that the Houthis do not deny. Um, of course, they have a, a so-called ambassador based in in Tehran and and regularly have have visits with Iranian officials. However, I still do not think it's helpful to label the Houthis an Iranian proxy because they do the Houthis do have their own interests and their own goals um, that I see as being independent of Iran. And I think that even if um, the Iranian connection or that alliance was to be weakened, uh, the Houthis would still uh, pose a, a serious challenge to the region and, and they would still have their own interests and they would pursue them, albeit with, with um, less military capability. Yeah. Um, you you mentioned your own work as uh, an analyst and, and a sort of specialist in looking at the Houthis propaganda. Yes. Uh, and this is a, a key element of of what they're doing at the moment. But if we step back a little, um, the Houthis have their their famous slogan, which which is sort of slightly terrifying. Death to America, death to Israel. Um, what is it? Curse the Jews. And, and it goes on. Um, and so from the outset, the, the Houthis had this uh, seemingly very, very kind of a, aggressive stance to, uh, to, 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 to the world. They presented a very sort of aggressive face to the world. But at the beginning, they weren't really very interested in America and Israel, were they, in spite of that, that slogan? Well, I would say they were interested in, in the US and Israel. But uh, look, their founder, Hussein al-Houthi, um, when he first said that slogan in the early 2000s, I think it was following the, the second intifada, 
um, he was very clear in his his early speeches, his early lectures, that the U.S. and Israel are the primary enemies of the Arab world and the primary enemies of Yemen. But of course, at the time, they had no military. They had no capacity to strike American interests and certainly not Israel. And it's just been a very um, alarming escalation within the past few months. I mean, the prospect of the Houthis actually attempting to to launch uh, missiles and armed drones at Israel, um, I think prior to October 7th would have been uh, uh, very shocking to yeah. see. And now it's it's happened quite a few times. I mean, it's not successful, of course, but that doesn't mean that's always going to be the case. Um, so certainly there's been this escalation, but no, they have always uh, stated that, that the U.S. and Israel are their primary en- enemies and have emphasized that other countries like Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates are merely puppets to the U.S. and not the real enemies. Yeah. As you mentioned there, you know, the, the idea, if someone had said in January last year, well, you, you, you'll see the Houthis uh, literally trying to strike at Israel. I think most people would have said, well, that, that that's a sort of crazy idea. Um, but coming back to the question of Iran, one of the things that's interesting to try to understand is uh, to what extent are the Houthis acting perhaps because Hezbollah feels it can't act? You know, Hezbollah right there on Israel's northern border, uh, that there's a sort of hair trigger between the Israeli forces and, and the Hezbollah forces, which could very quickly escalate into another major conflict in addition to what's happening in Gaza. Um, whereas clearly the Houthis, just by the by, by the, the advantage of geography, are are somewhat disconnected. So is do you think that to some extent the Houthis are doing what they're doing because Hezbollah can't really afford at this stage to kind of launch a full-scale attack on Israel? That's an interesting question. You know, it's hard for me to say for sure because it, it is so hypothetical if the position of Hezbollah was different or if they felt that they could act, maybe the Houthis wouldn't be conducting these attacks. But I do think that the Houthis are taking advantage of a situation that has presented itself to them. So like you mentioned, they have um, control or at least access to uh, Red Sea shipping. Um, They have always stated that one of their primary aims is to um, help the Palestinians or even liberate Palestine and to counter the U.S. So all of these have all these events have coincided um, and their position has allowed them to conduct these attacks. And for them, it's it's very timely and it's very convenient. So I do suspect that regardless of Hezbollah's actions and possibly regardless of direct orders from Iran, I suspect that the Houthis would, um, would have conducted these attacks. And I think it is also important to mention that within the past year, we've seen the, the greatest opportunity for peace in Yemen. This is when the most important uh, negotiations and the most productive negotiations have taken place between the Houthis and the Saudis to officially reach a ceasefire and end at least that aspect of Yemen's war. And in a way, I think that that makes the Houthis uncomfortable because they are such a militarized group. They function very well in wartime and not so well in peacetime. They haven't really been tested in peacetime. Um, Their ability to govern is, is not very good. Uh, so I suspect that the prospect of peace actually did make them nervous. And now the idea that that they get to be embroiled again in a war with their true enemy, the United States, um, is exactly what they would want. Yeah, I'm glad you brought in the Saudis there, because, as you mentioned earlier, of course, 
from the outset, the Houthis have been uh, very sort of firmly opposed to to the Saudis and and very early on, even when their their sort of weaponry was really quite limited, they were firing different types of rockets and missiles over onto onto Saudi soil. Um, and then, of course, as as you mentioned, the Saudis launched their their major sort of assault on Yemen, which which largely proved unsuccessful. Um, but we in, intriguingly and 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 of course, sort of slightly confusingly, uh, in the light of the the most recent events and and the the U.S. U.K. airstrikes, you had the Saudis expressing great concern at this U.S. decision. Um, so perhaps you could explain for listeners that the complexity there, because most people would 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 have assumed that the Saudis would be quite happy to see the Houthis um, attacked by by the U.S. Air Force. So what's going on there? Yes, it, it is a surprising development, or maybe at least looking at it from a few years ago, it would have been quite surprising. But the position of the Saudis right now is that they have been um, trying to extract themselves from Yemen for at least a few years. And it has been a very difficult process because, of course, there have been periodic ceasefires. Those ceasefires are violated. The strikes from the Houthi territory into Saudi and vice versa then continue. And there have been periods where the Houthis have struck um critical infrastructure in Saudi Arabia that, that threatens their economy and now threatens their uh, booming or hopefully booming tourism industry. Um, yeah. So obviously the Saudis want to avoid that at all costs. And now that they have made progress in these negotiations with the Houthis and they feel like there is this prospect of peace and frankly, the Houthis are not going anywhere. The prospect now of, of pushing the Houthis out of Sana'a and replacing them with the legitimate government is very, very distant. So the choice that the Saudis have now is some degree of normalization with the Houthis or returning to warfare. And obviously they don't want the latter and it's not in their interest. So yeah. now that they see, I think that the Saudis are understanding of the, the decision by the US and the UK to conduct these airstrikes, but it also does make them very nervous because as um, the Houthi military spokesman said today after the attacks of last night, um, he said, we will be targeting uh, both land and sea. Okay, so yeah. sea, we know our targets in the Red Sea, but what is the land? What land targets is he referring to? I imagine that that kind of language makes the Saudis pretty nervous um, because they don't want to see a return um, to, to war with the Houthis. Yeah, and is is an element of, clearly, as you said, the Saudis desperate to de-escalate um, that what what proved to be a very very difficult and ultimately sort of unsuccessful campaign in Yemen but of course the other thing which the Saudis were involved with um well I say one other thing that the Saudis were involved with on the diplomatic front was a an attempt to improve their relations with the Iranians uh so is this another element of of that story that the the slight thawing of relations between the Saudis and the Iranians, uh, it, it goes hand in hand with with a better relationship with the Houthis. Yeah, that, that's definitely a component of it. Um, I would say that, that the Saudis are looking to improve relations on both fronts, and they have made progress in that in the past year, and they don't want to see that progress undone. Um, but they also they also understand that of course the Houthis cannot be lobbing missiles at um, at civilian ships in the Red Sea on a daily basis. So yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So we, I want to talk a bit more about propaganda in the context of uh, the the Israeli operations in Gaza. And of course, um, you know, lots of people have been re- really sort of disturbed by the the intensity of those operations, the numbers of civilian casualties, the destruction of of property in Gaza, um, and notwithstanding the the horrific massacre of the seventh of October perpetrated by Hamas and its allies, uh, there's this sense that that you know Israel has perhaps over overdone its response, um, and the Houthis are playing into that in the sense that. In the Arab world, there's a feeling that no Arab government is doing anything, and and we we've, we've talked about the Saudis. You know, they're they're not taking any action. Uh, you 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 could list Egypt and 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 Jordan and 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 any any Arab country you choose to, uh, and and they're not really taking any specific ac- action to protect the Palestinians. So, is this a major driver for the, the Houthis that they're almost? Having once been an an obscure regional militia group, they're now looking across the Arab world and thinking that maybe we are in some way a kind of in a sort of leadership position here. Yes, definitely, and and I would argue that it goes beyond the Arab world. I mean, it's it's amazing to me, uh, you know, friends and family members that I have in the U.S. who frankly know nothing about the Houthis, have never heard of the Houthis before, are now not only familiar with them but supportive of them. Um, and see them as being very brave or being potentially heroes in their effort, the the sole effort of the Houthis, to try to uh, punish Israel or at least dissuade Israel from um, bombing Gaza. So I think that this has just been a massive propaganda win for the Houthis. Uh, Obviously, not only Israel's assault on Gaza and mass killings of civilians and all of the footage that has been produced by that, but the Houthi response. And now, of course, if you if you scratch the surface, you can see that these attacks on, on ships in the Red Sea are not actually going to deter Israel in any way, but the Houthis can frame it very, very effectively. And I think it is a good line of propaganda um, and it's been picked up by many people. And I don't think that the Houthis have ever received this much global attention, awareness, and also praise. Yeah. And I think that last point is important because uh, you know, in sitting in in the West, um, you know, I'm talking to you for, from from Britain. Perhaps if you're in America or other parts of Europe, people are very focused on this idea of de-escalation. But actually, um, what is sometimes lazily called the Arab Street is probably less interested in that and is more interested in who is going to do something to defend the Palestinians. 
Yes, exactly. And it's not, the priority I would say is not de-escalation or even peace. It is uh, the liberation of Palestine and and allowing Palestinians to have human rights. And that doesn't, that's not going to come from peace, right? It's yeah. going to be a much more complicated process. Now, I think clearly it's not going to come from Houthi strikes on, on container ships either, but the Houthis are being seen as doing something and standing up in a way that certainly no other um, Arab country or party is doing at the moment. So within within that story, I, I wonder whether, is it important or significant to sort of look at the sectarian nature of this? Because obviously the, the connectivity between the Houthis and Iran has in some way connected with the fact that the Houthis, the, the, the type of Islam that they practice is in some ways regarded as 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 analogous to to Shia Islam. I mean, it, the, this is not the right podcast to get into sort of complex theology, but basically the Houthis are seen as a Shia militia. Um, obviously, the majority of the Arab world and the majority of the Muslim world are Sunni. Is is it significant or important that this is another Shia resistance group, and and we we hear of Iran and its axis of resistance? I, I don't um, attribute much significance to the, the sectarian aspect. I mean, clearly there is that Shia connection. Um, as you pointed out, of course, Zaydis are are very distinct from Twelvers, the Twelvers being in Iran. Theologically, yeah. Zaydis are actually uh, very similar to Sunnis. But even despite all of that, I think it's more um, a, a product or a consequence of of other forms of sectarianism that exist in the region that maybe someone, a group like the Houthis would naturally ally with Iran because obviously they're not going to ally with, with Saudi or with the UAE or with Qatar, for example. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's purely because they're Shiites. And also it's important to note that um, they have very, very strong ideological ties with other non-Shiite groups um, such as Hamas and Islamic Jihad. Uh, and those groups also receive su support from Iran. Um, so I, I think that the there shouldn't be too much emphasis placed on the the sectarian aspect. Yet at the same time, the Houthis are definitely a religious group and and increasingly see themselves as having this kind of religious uh, legitimacy or theocratic legitimacy. Yeah, and of course the the family members. It's called the Houthis because that is the family name. The family members trace their lineage back to the Prophet Muhammad. Yes, exactly. They're Hashemites. Let's talk a little bit about the specific events of the recent days. You've had uh, attacks on international shipping. Obviously, the Red Sea is an absolutely crucial artery of global trade leading up to the Suez Canal when when um, uh, cargoes have to divert and, and sail around the, the south coast, southern coast of Africa. You you add to the costs and, you, you know, it drives inflation and, and supply chain challenges, all those kinds of issues. Um, there are the, the Houthis on do not exist in a bubble. They, they they may sometimes sort of behave as if they do, but they there will be other major global powers. There may be China, there may be India, there may be other other players who will look at this uh, situation and and not be very happy about it. Do you think the Houthis think about that or uh, care about that, or or they're they're more more focused on the sort of the immediate impact of of what these attacks are doing? I think. They are focused on the immediate impact, and 
maybe long term, they will care more about the impact that it has on other countries and their reputation in that regard. And it's very important to mention that just moments ago, it was reported that the Houthis um, accidentally struck uh, a Russian tanker, believing that it was a British tanker. Uh, so that happened today. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I think we might see more of that. And there's going to be implications for, for Russia and for China and for these other countries that do not condemn the Houthis in the same way that the U.S. and the U.K. do. But what the Houthis, the acts of the Houthis in, in the past couple months affect the whole world. Um, it doesn't matter if if um, any country or group is ideologically aligned with them. If insurance costs are skyrocketing because you are traversing Bab el-Mendeb or the Red Sea, then that's going to uh, affect you regardless of where you stand on this issue. And so I expect that it, it will have some potentially negative consequences for the Houthis in terms of their image in that regard. But I think what the Houthis are hoping is that um, Israel will de-escalate in Gaza at least soon enough so that the Houthis can then have um, have an excuse to stop conducting, air stri uh, conducting strikes like this. And then they can say, well, uh, Israel ceased its assault on Gaza thanks to our actions, thanks yeah. to um, us attacking these ships. I, I expect the the moment that Israel does in fact um, cease attacking, uh, draw down, and however you want to term it, that the the Houthis will take credit for that. Yeah, uh, undoubtedly. Um, so then, let's talk about specifically a, a little bit about what happened overnight last night with the the U.S. and U.K. airstrikes. Uh, there was almost a sense that the Houthis wanted this to happen there was a big naval task force in the region there were the repeated attacks on those naval ships um it was clear that there were these were quite intense attacks you know there were reports of of ships having to use multiple different weapon systems to to, to defend themselves um and there was clearly there had been various ultimatums put down uh there, were, there was no doubt of the the seriousness and the the intent uh, to carry out some kind of action if the Houthis didn't stop and they didn't stop. So now this airstrike has happened. Does it change anything? I mean, clearly there, there will be some specific damage on the ground caused by these strikes. But does it change anything about what the Houthis are doing? Will it change their behavior? I, I don't believe it will change their behavior other than maybe escalate it further or uh, encourage it further. I mean, certainly I think these strikes have affected their uh, their ability to to launch missiles. And I know that there were some military bases that were struck um, along with some weapons depots, but I don't expect that it will have affected the Houthis enough or impacted them enough for them to cease attacking Red Sea vessels. And the Houthis have already promised um, retaliation and they have promised to continue um, targeting ships in the Red Sea. And like I said before, also land unspecified land targets. And I fully expect them to um, to to hold to that promise. And so I don't think that um, that we've seen the end of this. There's going to be further escalation, and it's unclear to me how the U.S. and the U.K. intend to respond um, in the coming weeks or months if there is this escalation from the Houthis. Yeah, it it's an interesting conundrum because I think um, uh, I mean I, I agree with your assessment that it, it's. Given that the Houthis, um, you know, toughed out an intense years-long bombardment from the Saudi-led coalition, it seems unlikely that this particular 
set of of um, sort of targeted strikes would 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 make them sort of change their behavior. Um, but equally, uh, it would have been quite strange, wouldn't it, if if global powers, uh, notably the U.S., had just had done nothing and had sort of said, "Well, don't please don't do this," and then and and then you know not taken any action. So, was there a different course of action which which um, which the U.S. and U.K. governments might have been able to take, which you think could have had a a, a more immediate impact? Well, they are in a very difficult position. The truth is, is that there's no good way to deal with the Houthis. Um, and this isn't just the case in the past few months. This has been the case for years. Yeah. The U.S., the U.N., Saudi Arabia, any party that has um, tried to negotiate with the Houthis or deal with them in, in any regard, militarily or otherwise, faces the challenge of influencing their behavior in any way. It's hard to... Put pressure on the Houthis. It's hard to punish them. It's hard to deter them. It's also hard to incentivize them. So we've seen um, a, a wide variety of sanctions issued against them, against their leading members. Uh, we've seen uh, statements of condemnation of their actions. Obviously, we've seen military force being used against them. And nothing has been very effective. And so I really think that... Um, in a way, it's understandable that the U.S. and the U.K. would would conduct these strikes because they had issued this final warning and then previous warnings before that. So they they had to do something. Their their hand was forced in that regard. But I think that all observers, uh, any government that is invested in in what the Houthis are are doing or you know interest in Yemen and more generally, they need to give real thought about how are we going to engage with the Houthis, how can we incentivize them or deter them um, from actions like this? And I feel like that attention has just not been taken seriously. The Houthis are only dealt with in very short-term um, tactical ways, and, and there's no long-term strategy. Yeah. And one element of this is, of course, their status. As you said, they're the de facto government in North Yemen. Uh, the international community persists in uh, identifying a different group as the the legitimate government of Yemen, um, a, a group whose own legitimacy, you know, may have some flaws and and which, in practical terms, has no control whatsoever in on the ground. Yes, yeah, exactly. So the Houthis exist in this um, this middle ground between being a rebel group and being a government, and and it does make them difficult to deal with and. And certainly the role of the internationally recognized government is, is not especially helpful because the truth is, is that even if the, the Saudis had found a way to push the Houthis out of Sana'a, there's not really a government that is prepared to take its place. Yeah. Um, the, the internationally recognized government has been based in name in Aden, but in reality has have been based between Riyadh and, and other other capitals, including in the West, they're not very cohesive. And then there's constantly infighting um, within the internationally recognized government and alongside the, the Southern Transitional Council, which is the, the Southern separatist group. So yeah. it's just very, very fractured, um, very chaotic. And it, it, of course, that that plays well for the Houthis, who um, don't really have a, a strong enemy that's going to counter them. Yeah. So I guess my final question is, is to think a little bit about the future. Um, are we witnessing the birth of something that will grow to be as significant and as influential as, for example, Hezbollah? Or is this 
a brief crisis, albeit a very serious one, one that affects world trade, one that that clearly, um, you know, has has yet to reach its conclusion, but is in in a sense is quite time limited and sort of geographically specific. So I think that this specific crisis is certainly time limited. Um, it's it's serious. It needs to be taken seriously. But I I don't see it um, persisting for for many months, for example. But that doesn't mean that there won't be other instances like this where the Houthis can suddenly um, come to the forefront of international attention because of the increased military power that they have, because of their control over you know, parts of the Red Sea, because of their borders with Saudi Arabia. So they have the, the opportunity to be a spoiler to peace. They have the opportunity to um, target very important infrastructure. But I don't think that they will ever quite be seen the same way as Hezbollah will, or as Hezbollah is seen. Um, and part of that is because the Houthis do not exist along the border of, of Israel, right? Even, even though they have attempted to target Israel, they are still um, a ways away from it uh, yeah. geographically. So if they do maintain some degree of, of normalcy with the Saudis or some degree of peace, and then at least with Oman, you know, on Yemen's eastern border, the Houthis have decent relationships with them, then they're never really going to be able to, to engage militarily in quite the same way that, the Hez, that Hezbollah has been able to in the past. Yeah, well, that, that's a fascinating and, and important point. Um, Hannah, thank you so much. This has really been a really informative discussion. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this special emergency episode of Behind the Lines. I hope you found it interesting and informative. I certainly got a lot from my discussion with Hannah. If you want to hear more of these episodes, why not subscribe? And if you're already a subscriber, why not give us a positive review? Behind the Lines was produced by me, Arthur Snell, and the theme music is by Matty Benbrook. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.